freezer, I didn't know if you wanted it thought out or sat frozen again. So I uh, put it in the I think we'll probably leave it like that because I'm You're sure. company this week. Yeah, maybe we get to use it this week before it goes. It was really good. I didn't have any problem with that. No, I, didn't I didn't either. Have any problem either. It was just the texture. Yeah. <laughs> the texture was what got me. Did it make you sick? <laughs> no, I don't think it made anybody sick. We're, no, sure we'll do. Well, we are studying this morning in Acts chapter 8. And this is, um, covers several different things. It gives the, uh, the growth of the early church in Samaria. And Samaria is north of Judea. It's a region north of the region of Judea around Jerusalem. And it is a, a region that the Jews did not go into often. They, they avoided the Samaritans because of their, of who they were. The, the Samaritans were people that were left behind when the Babylonians took the Jewish nation captive. And they left them there just to keep the wild animals from taking over the region. And they, they left the people that they had no use for. Anybody that had any skills, they took them to, ba- to Babylon. But the people that were left behind are the people that just, you know, they weren't anybody that they had any use for. And so they assigned people to be priests and and governors over Samaria and to keep that region free of animals. Uh, the lions and hyenas or whatever might have taken over in that region. So they were left behind when Israel went into captivity and the and Israel when they came back had didn't have much use for these people they they had become different they had uh customs of their own that developed separate from those who were in captivity so that region was up north of Jerusalem and on the let's say to be the the western half western side of the of the Jordan River that flows down from Lake Gennesaret down into the Dead Sea region so anyway that's who these people were and they are it's interesting that the early church took root there in Jerusalem or in Samaria rather than or it did the early church was started there in Jerusalem at the, on the day of Pentecost, but then it spread northward into into Samaria, and they were, and the church was accepted almost universally in Samaria, as it was not in 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 Jerusalem and in the in Judea. So let's let's start our reading here, and we'll read uh, from verse one of chapter eight. And Saul was consenting unto the, 
unto his death, that is, the death of Stephen. And he held the, the coats of those who stoned Stephen. So he was fully accepting and agreed to Stephen's death. And at that time, there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the region of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house, hailing men and women and committing them to prison. Therefore, they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. So at Stephen's death, Saul became a, he was the one holding the people's coats and watching over that while they stoned Stephen to death. But the church gave Stephen a proper burial and with great lamentation, even though they knew that the Jews were out after them, they still held a proper burial and, and greatly lamented Stephen. He was a good man and a man that was well respected in the church, one of the deacons that was just uh, nominated or designated, if we should say that, appointed to take care of the church. So that he had a, his proper burial. And as for Saul, Saul becomes a, a, this is the first time we see Saul mentioned here in, this, in the scriptures other than his uh, not wanting to have the church. He was a, a devout Jew, a, a zealot even, a Jewish zealot who was serving the, the Sanhedrin, doing their bidding. And they even gave him uh, not only permission, but letters to take people captive who were of that way, which is what the early church was called. And so Saul made havoc of the church. He went, went around and captured people that were known Christians and put them in jail. Uh, therefore, the church was scattered. It was, uh, the people went into hiding and, and left, left Jerusalem. They were scattered away from Jerusalem and into the surrounding areas. And, and wherever they went, they went preaching the word, which basically just spread the church in all over the whole region there, which for our sakes and for the sake of the gospel, it was a good thing. Okay, verse 5. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria. <clears throat> now, it's interesting that it says he went down to the city of Samaria because it's north of Jerusalem, almost straight north. And, oh, quite a ways. Let me, let me see. I've got a sort of a map here. Um, 
I would say it was probably about 20 miles, 25 miles, maybe a little more than that, north of Jerusalem. And so... It may be lower or higher in elevation. I, I really couldn't tell you. That, okay. Where, I mean, that's probably where the temple was and the presence of God was. So you, everyone went up to Jerusalem. Up to Jerusalem and, and down, down away from there. Oh, so that's a possible. Because that was considered, it was considered the, the epicenter. Right, the, the, the pinnacle. The <laughs> right. Yeah, sure. All right. Well, well, they went, he went down to. He went some, north, but went down. Right. I, it was interesting. I, have, yeah. I had a friend who was from, uh, well, he was from the region there in, uh, in the Appalachians. And he said that, you, well, you go north. Well, north to them was anything that was upstream. Oh. It was upstream yeah. from where they were. And I, it was confusing to me. I, I, I asked him about that, and he says, oh, Oh, I, I didn't think about that. That's the way we think about it there. And so here Philip went down to Samaria, which was north of Jerusalem, and preached Christ unto them. He when it says he preached Christ, it says he preached the Messiah, the chosen one of, of God. And, and that is Jesus. That is, he was not accepted as the Messiah by the Jews at this time at all. And the people with one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits crying with a loud voice came out of many that were possessed with them, and many taken, and many taken with palsies, that were lame and and that were lame were healed that is people who were paralyzed a palsy is a paralyzing maybe of one part of the body but it was paralyzation and and demons uh, were were cast out and they cried as they left the body or left their victim and these people were healed. And all of Samaria saw this and accepted Jesus Christ as the Messiah almost universally in Samaria. And there was great joy in that city, in the city of Samaria. Now, Samaria is a region also. But the city was a specific place where, where Philip started. So Philip, another one of the deacons, went preaching to Samaria. Verse 9, But there was a certain man called Simon, which before time in the same city used sorcery and bewitched the people of Samaria 
giving out that he himself was some great one, to whom they all gave heed, from the least to the greatest, saying, This is the great power of God. Wow. They gave him allegiance in that way. But when they received Jesus Christ, uh, this Simon was marginalized at, at least. And so he was performing sorcery here. And they, they gave him great credence. You know, they said, he, he is the man. He's the power of God. And uh, I read another translation that said he was called the power. That was his title. And he evidently was very proud of that title and uh, enjoyed that adulation of the people. Uh, Verse 11, and to him they had regard because that for a long time he had bewitched them with sorceries. I don't know whether he was doing sleight of hand or what he was doing. Maybe he was using black magic. I don't know. I have no idea. This region of Samaria, I, I have a feeling, were people that were somewhat superstitious, somewhat um, they they had gotten away from the ser- the service of God to some extent, but they still looked forward to the coming of the Messiah. And when when Philip came preaching Jesus Christ as the Messiah, they accepted him. They saw the miracles. They said, "Can it be otherwise?" They said, "This has got to be the Messiah." So. That was the situation there. Verse 12 says, But when they believed Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Then Simon himself believed also. And when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and wondered, beholding the miracles and signs which were done. Here he was a man that did uh, sorcery and trickery and sleight of hand, but he said, wow, this is the real thing. He, he accepted Jesus Christ as the Messiah and as his Savior, I believe. And so here, that was quite a conversion, and that probably led credence to the preaching of Philip, too. Because if this man that they respected as a, a, a sorcerer, a man who could do wonders, uh, if he was going to accept Jesus Christ as Messiah, surely this must be the one. Now, verse 14 goes on, and this is a, a somewhat of a change here. It says, Now when the apostles, which were at Jerusalem, heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent unto them Peter and John. So they sent Peter and John up there to confirm. To 
to to confirm that the uh, that the Samaritans had accepted and and to send their authority. Basically, Peter and John were considered the leaders of the church at Jerusalem, and Peter and John, when this is verse fifteen, when they have were come to down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. For as yet he was fallen upon none of them, only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So their baptism was in the name of Jesus alone, not the Holy Spirit. And so they came and they laid hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Now this was just there in Samaria, I believe, in in the city of Samaria. Um, verse 18 it says and when Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles hands the Holy Ghost was given he offered them money saying give me also this power that on whomsoever I lay my hands he may receive the Holy Ghost this was his he I think Simon was missing the uh, the center stage position in Samaria where people were looking up to him as being somebody. He says, wow, if I had this power to just put my hands on people and they received the Holy Ghost, I would, I would be back in, back in the saddle again, so to speak. And uh, he was wanting this and it wasn't proper what he was wanting. He, and he was even offering money to them for that power. He, he wanted that. It's like he could buy that. Um, okay, where, where did I leave off reading here? Okay. So he said, give, give me also this power. But Peter said unto him, thy money perish with thee. You, you and your money, go on. We don't, we, you're on the wrong side here. Because thou hast thought that the gift of God may be purchased with money. It's the, notice he says it's the gift of God. And we need to re- realize that too. This is not something that you can buy. It's not something you can work for. Not something you can uh, purchase by any means, by, by good works, by anything. It doesn't matter. And we need to realize this is the gift of God. Like it says in the book of Ephesians chapter 8, it is the gift of God and not of works, lest any man should boast. We, we can't boast of anything we have done. Yeah. And that is where we have our, our allegiance is to God alone and it's not as though we can say I've worked for this, I've bought it, I've purchased it or I've, you know, you can't do that it's God's gift and it puts God down to do that and that's what Peter said, unto, said to him he says your, 
Your money perish with you. Your your heart is not right. Uh, verse 21 says, Thou hast neither part nor lot in this matter, for thy heart is not right in the sight of God. Now that's an interesting statement for Peter to make. He said, your heart isn't right. You're, you're wanting to buy something, but it your heart isn't right. Your heart is... Uh, you want this for selfish reasons. He goes on, he says, Repent, therefore, of this thy wickedness, and pray God, if perhaps the, the thought of thine heart may be forgiven thee. For I perceive that thou art in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. You're bound. Your sin is still binding your heart. And... And you're bitter because you lost your position as as center stage as a as a somebody in Samaria. I'm, and I'm I'm extending that in in saying that, but this is what Peter said to him. He said, "Your your heart isn't right. God knows your heart isn't right." And verse twenty one there says, "For for thy heart is not right in the sight of God." He said. This isn't a right thing that you're doing. And you're doing things for the wrong reason. Therefore, you you have no part in this in this matter of the laying on of hands and the transferring of the Holy Spirit. And Peter was given that authority, I believe, by the Holy Spirit to say that. So, verse 24, Then answered Simon and said, Pray ye the Lord for me, that none of these things which ye have spoken come upon me. And they that had testified and preached the word of the Lord returned to Jerusalem and preached the gospel in many villages of the Samaritans. So, here the Peter and John, uh, well, they... Simon says, please pray for me that none of these things come upon me. He was a saved man. I, be- I believe that. But his heart wasn't right. And we need to look at our own hearts and make sure that our hearts are right when we do things. Even, even in giving of gifts or whatever we do, that our hearts be right in it so that we are serving the Lord with what, whatever he's given us. And realizing that the gift of God can't be purchased. It's not something we are blessing God with because we aren't in a position to bless God. God is in a position to bless us. And he has blessed us even by giving us the understanding of his love and his presence. And and we need to keep our own hearts right before the Lord. And not as though we can do it. But we need to let God change our hearts so that we become right in his sight. Because as the Apostle Paul points out, the flesh and the spirit are at war one with the other. And as long as we're in the flesh, we still need to keep our hearts right before God and in our service to God. We need to inspect ourselves. And when we find something that isn't right with God, we need to 
commit that to him. Amen. And that that is where our responsibility lies. And realizing that we need to repent also, even as Simon, the sorcerer, or a former sorcerer, I, I should say, we need to realize that when, it, when our hearts are not right with God, we need to repent. And that, that is what God instructs us to do. Um, and so the, those that had come up there to, or come down, excuse me, come down here to Samaria uh, from Jerusalem, went back. And as they went back, they preached in a lot of the villages and towns of Samaria. It wasn't just in the city of Samaria, but the villages also. And it says, in the many villages of the Samaritans, there in verse 25. Let's go on into verse 26. It says, and the angel of God, of the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise, and go toward the south, unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem to Gaza, which is desert. This is a dead desert region there between Jerusalem and Gaza. Gaza is on the coast of the Mediterranean, and it is south of uh, the city of Ashdod, if, which was a Philistine city. And Ashdod is also known as Azotus now. It's a more recent name for that for Ashdod. So that he said, "Go down that way." And so he went on on the road. I, the angel said, "Arise." That's an interesting word. It says, "Get up and go. Do, do this. Arise. Make that your purpose. You've got a purpose now. Go." And so he went south by the way that goeth down from Jerusalem. Here we are going down from Jerusalem to the south, like we went down from Jerusalem to the north. Anyway. Uh, Peter arose, or uh, Philip arose and went. And behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, queen of Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasure and had come to Jerusalem for to worship. He had come from Ethiopia down in, in Africa. He'd come way up north to Jerusalem to worship God. This tells me that he was a, a Jewish convert. And so he had come up to worship God there at Jerusalem. And he was a man of great authority in the Ethiopian kingdom under Queen Candace. And so this man was traveling. I don't know if he was traveling alone uh, in a chariot or whether he had people with him it doesn't say but he had come up there to Jerusalem to worship and he was returning and sitting in his chariot he read the Isaiah the prophet this says Isaiah which is Isaiah 
And so he was sitting there reading this scroll, I would assume, out of his chariot. And he was reading it aloud as he traveled. Then the Spirit said unto Philip, Go near and join thyself to this chariot. He says, You run up there and, you know, he's reading the book of Isaiah out loud. You run up there and join yourself to it, he said. And Philip ran thither to him and heard him read the prophet Isaiah. And said, un, he said, Understandest thou what thou readest? He said, Do you understand what you're reading? And, and the eunuch said, how, how can I accept some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. He said, you know something about this? Come on up here and, and tell me about it. I don't understand what I'm reading. I said, how could I possibly understand this unless somebody explains to me what it means? I don't know whether he was reading out in Hebrew. I don't know what language he was speaking or what, how that scroll was written. But he said, he admitted, I don't really understand what I'm reading. Come on, if you know something about this, come on up and sit with me in my chariot. And we'll, we're going the same way anyway. We'll, we'll just travel on here and you can explain these to, to me. Verse 32. Uh, the place of the scripture which he read was this. And then it quotes from Isaiah. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter. And like a lamb before his shearer, so opened he not his mouth. In his humiliation, his judgment was taken away. And who shall declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. This is a prophecy in Isaiah of Jesus Christ. He was, his life was taken from him. And he didn't say anything about it. He, even when Pilate uh, said, are you the king of the Jews? He, he said, thou sayest, you, you said it, but I didn't say anything. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter. Like a lamb dumb before his shearer, so opened he not his mouth. He didn't say anything. And in his humiliation, because he was humbled, even as a man, his judgment was taken away. That is, his justice was not granted to Jesus by those that were uh, against him. Whether it was the Jews or Herod or any of those, the Romans, his justice was taken away. And who shall declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. Who, who are, who's going to be his children? Who are, who's going to speak for Jesus? Because he's taken from the earth. And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee, of whom speaketh the prophet this? Who, who is Isaiah saying this about? Is it of himself or some other man? 
Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. And as they went on their way, they came unto a certain water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? Now, I don't know how much this Ethiopian eunuch knew about baptism, but he knew it was a commitment. And he said to Philip, Here's water. What? Why can't I be baptized? I, I want to be baptized. And so... Peter, or Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. You can be baptized if you believe with all your heart that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Not only is he the Messiah, he is the Son of God. That's an interesting point. This Ethiopian eunuch understood that not only was he the Messiah that had been prophesied, he was the Son of God. So... Oh, I understand that. Uh, it's quite a topic of contention amongst a lot of, pe- amongst a lot of people. Um, <clears throat> one of that being that, that this was inserted by a latter translator to suffice the hearts and minds of those scholars who translated it uh, and to suit the church, the Church of England for that. There was a lot of things that were permitted that were that were being permitted by the kingship at that particular time in England that were not condoned in the scripture. So there's a lot of contention saying that, that that caused that particular verse inserted there causes a lot of friction in the church today. Yes. And that's that's an interesting thing too. You know, in the book of Revelation it says what would happen to those who added or took away from the scriptures. So we'll let God be the judge of that. And we are, we're not to judge the translators or, you know, but lot, you and I look at the, at the various translations. I have uh, other translations that I use for, for my clarity, for my understanding. And if something is left out of one of them, I'll look at the others and say, well, I don't know. You know, it, I have to judge in my own heart, and we each have to do that as we look at someone preaching to us or, or somebody teaching. Whether they, you know, we have to judge in our own hearts how we feel about that. And, and, I, and I believe in some cases the translator inserted this because they felt that it was, it, it, it took place. Well, I, I don't know. I don't know how the translators uh, argued amongst themselves because most translations are a, a group of people getting together and translating. Um, there are other situations. Uh, most assuredly, we, we know that individuals, when we're, at, when we're added to the body of Christ, we have to face some sort of acceptance. We have to accept the Lord or else we wouldn't present ourselves for baptism. Absolutely. So, You're right. 
we also have to acknowledge that in order for us to enter, we have to accept the Lord and be baptized. So it's not, it's not a, per se, it's not this, you know, it, it does kind of coincide with that. I mean, yes. My personal feeling is that it, it is that. I mean, we've seen that throughout the years. I mean, you can see the counts there when people are added and baptized. They accept that Jesus is, is the Son of God. The Son of God. Absolutely. So one would stand to reason that that's exactly what takes place is that, okay, I have this understanding. He actually, he was convicted. Yes. Here's, here's water. What prevents me being baptized? I'm ready right now. Jesus, so he knew that he was going to enter into the body. He was this baptism was entering in him into being in the body of Christ, being a member of the body of Christ. Yes. You know, it wasn't as if he was just going on to perform some ritual, and that was it. After the no, birth. no. And that, that's an interesting point that you make. It, was, it wasn't just a ritual, it was a commitment. And that's what baptism is. And, and like we discussed yesterday, it's not, it's not something that Philip did of his own accord. No. He did it at the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Yes, but the angel told him to go down there for that reason. And that, of course, we talked about the given authority from the Church of Jerusalem to, to minister. That's why he was traveling through Samaria and all those to minister to them. Yes, and... And while he was there ministering to the Samaritans, God says, go. You, you've, got a, you've got a mission. And I believe that this Ethiopian eunuch became a missionary sent to Ethiopia as a Christian, preaching the word of God, just like the, other, like the church that was sent out from Jerusalem. They went with a the Spirit directing them to preach Jesus Christ as the Messiah. And I believe that's exactly what the Spirit does. It, even though it's not concluded there, what happened him after the fact, Right. we understand that his baptism was scriptural baptism. Absolutely. And that the Lord wouldn't have, have forsook, forsook the original commandment of being baptized into Christ just for this instance. So, I mean, like you said, we, we don't really know what happened, but we can surmise as much based on what we read here, what happened. Yes, and, and we know that Ethiopia became a Christian nation, or one of the few at that time. And so I, I have every confidence that this man went away being a missionary. And he, Well, it goes on, and he says, um, in verse 38 it says, And he commanded the chariot to stand still, and they went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. Now notice they went down into the water. We understand that baptism, even the Greek word baptizo, is immersion. It's not sprinkling. It's not any just putting a dot of holy water on the forehead or anything like that. This is immersion. It's a picture of the death burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He died to, and we died to sin. That's, that's our intent. It's our purpose. And when we go down into the water of baptism and are brought back up, it's a washing of, of our own hearts. And then it's a commitment to new life in Jesus Christ. And this is our commitment when we are baptized. Verse 39, And when they were come up out of the water, 
the Spirit of the Lord caught away Philip, that the eunuch saw him no more. And he went on his way rejoicing. This eunuch was, he had made this commitment, and all of a sudden, Philip was gone. But that Ethiopian eunuch had an understanding in his heart of who Jesus was, and of what these scriptures meant. And Philip had taught him enough that he went on his way rejoicing, serving the Lord. But Philip was found at Ash at Azotus, and passing through, he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. Well, I I looked at the at the map in this, and I found Azotus. Azotus was the city of Ashdod under the Philistines, and it was given a new name. And it is north of Gaza, which was the general direction of the, of the road that he was on, but it's a, along the coast of the Mediterranean. If you have maps in the back of your Bible, you might look at that. It, Gaza is down um, just north of, of the region of Idumea. And uh, it's oh about halfway down along the Dead Sea. You look at the Dead Sea, which is easy to find there, and you look to the west on your map, and you'll see Gaza. And north of there, about 20 miles, is the city of Azotus, which was Ashdod at one time. And that's where Philip found himself. And he said, okay, and he he passed through Azotus and was preaching in all the cities of, well, they're the cities of uh, Judea and Samaria, all along the coast, all northward along that coast. And you'll see uh, Caesarea is up north. You'll see there's a little, like a peninsula that sticks out to the northwest from the coast. And just below that is Caesarea. And that is where he went. So he, he preached from Azotus north to Caesarea. And it, that's maybe 40, 45 miles, maybe a little bit more than that. But he went on foot. He, he wasn't in the chariot anymore. He, the chariot went on down to Ethiopia. But he was... He went along there preaching as he went in each of these cities. I don't know how long it took him. It may, he may have been a month on the road. He may have been longer. I don't know. How long does it take you to walk 45 miles? Well, you know, one stands to reason that they would typically, they would typically you go by button 10 miles a day from the caravan. I think it was during Oregon Trail time. So think about that. You could walk on foot probably, probably not even, if you're on a horse, you could go back. Well, if you he probably couldn't move that, that fast on foot, you might could go ten. I think it was, I think a day's journey in that time was what it was about ten miles. Well, five or ten miles. It depends on how fast you walk and and how much time did he spend preaching? You know, in each of these little villages, we don't know, but he took his time or took the Lord's time. Let's put it that way, 
and made progress north along the seacoast there and went all the way up to Caesarea. And these, this coastal region was both in Judea and Samaria. So, and it's a northern, northern region of Samaria and it's kind of northwest from the city of Samaria, which is almost central in the region of Samaria. So that's interesting where Philip went and he went preaching as, as he felt led, I'm sure, by the Spirit of God to, to do that and to spread the, the word all along that coast, all the way north to, to Caesarea. And we'll note that that Caesarea is not Caesarea Philippi that's spoken of in other places. Uh, and because it's north of uh, Lake Gennesaret, up in the, well, it's the northern portion of Galilee, which is north of Samaria and to the west of Lake Gennesaret. All right, well, if, is there any other comment? Our, our time is up this morning. And it, I found this an interesting reading. I, I did some other reading and, and looking at the maps and, and that of the, the region and got myself a little better acquainted with where, where places are there. And it's an interesting study that the whole nation of Israel as we know it today is about the size of um, what is it uh, one of the eastern states there um, I forget now anyway it's it's not that far we it's maybe a hundred miles long and maybe 60 or 80 miles wide is the whole nation of Israel. That's not a very big region. That's less than, we could space that between here and Denver. And the whole nation would be there. And that, you know, we think of the wide open spaces here in Colorado and, and it's a blessing to have that openness. But they had people there and the people were close packed and they everybody was on foot and they communicated in various languages we know and their their culture was very different than ours we need to realize that as we read the scriptures that we are looking at it from a, a position of being Americans and certainly we have other people here but we mostly speak English, not English, but American. Even the English look at us like, why are you using such funny words for things? And so they had people, they, they knew who people were by the clothes they wore, by the language they spoke, by the attitudes they had, the way, the way that they lived their lives. And there were people who were fishermen and people who were uh, shepherds, farmers, 
various uh, cultures were brought together here. And we need to look at ourselves and say, how do I respond to the Messiah, to Jesus, by the Son, to the Son of God? And we need to realize that God sees our hearts, and, and no matter what we do, we are his representatives as Christians. And we need to look at the way we serve God with our hearts and with our lives and be ready to serve him with our hearts because that is what God wants. He doesn't, he's not interested in our, our wealth. You know, this is a wealthy nation that we live in. And, and yet that's not what God's interested in. He's interested in who you are inside. He sees your inside. He sees mine. And we need to realize that we are going to stand before Jesus as the judge. And he understands and knows our hearts. Let's commit ourselves in, not, in, not necessarily in baptism every day, but to renew that commitment to the Lord. Any other comments on this? Then we'll, if not, we'll just stop there. It's okay, they'll get to hear the second half of it. Y'all can blame that one on me. I'll take that one for sure. So Mark chapter 14 and verse 12. It says, In the first day of unleavened bread, when they killed the Passover, and his disciples said unto him, Where wilt thou that we go and prepare that thou mayest eat the Passover? And he sent forth two of his disciples and said unto them, Go ye into the city, and there shall meet a man bearing of a pitcher of water, and follow him. And wheresoever he shall go in, say ye to the good man of the house, the master saith, Where is the guest chamber where I shall eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you the large upper room, furnished and prepared, that ye may make ready for us. And his disciples went forth and came into the city and found that he had, uh, he had said unto them that they made ready the Passover. And in the evening he cometh with the twelve. And as they sat and did eat, Jesus said, Verily I say unto you, one of which eateth will, uh, with me shall betray me. And they began to be sorrowful and to say with him, One by one, is it I? And another said, Is it I? And he answered, said unto them, it is the one of the twelve that dippeth with me in the dish. And the Son of Man indeed goeth, as it is written by, uh, of him, but woe to the man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. Good word for that man if he had never been born. And as they did eat, Jesus took the bread and blessed it and break it and gave to him. And said, Take eat, this is my body. And he took the cup and then he had given thanks, and he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. 
And he said unto them, This is my blood of the testament of which is shed for many. Verily I say unto you, I will drink no more of the fruit of the vine until the day that I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And when they had sung in him, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And Jesus saith unto them, All ye shall be offended because of me this night, for it is written, I will smite the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am risen, I will go before you into Galilee. And Peter said unto him, Although, uh, although all shall be offended, yet will I not? And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto you, that this day, even in this night, before the cock crows twice, thou shalt deny me thrice. But he spake the more vehemently, If I should die with thee, then I will not deny thee in any wise. Likewise also should they all. And they came to the place which was named Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, Sit ye here while I, should, uh, while I, while I shall pray. I can't speak today. So we see here this was observed when? Another time than the Passover. They were partaking of the Lord's Supper as an institution like the Passover. Which exactly that's what it is. It's the furtherance of the Passover. And what was its purpose? The purpose of it was just like being delivered from the land of Egypt, they were to remember their deliverance. There was no mistake here that he chose to do this at the Passover, the very day that he would be delivered into the hand of the enemy to be slain and judged before all men. Just like a lamb led to the slaughter. Why do you think that that was the intent there behind the scripture? It carried significant meaning with the past. Makes that scripture sound even more interesting. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That lamb in the Passover was symbolic of Christ's sacrifice. was a type and shadow. We talk about types and shadows all the time or foreshadowing of things to come. As we said, the Lord doesn't change. But recognizing this, the Lord did institute the Lord's Supper to be observed for his remembrance. Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 11. First Corinthians chapter 11, just about nine verses there that we'll read. Starting at verse 23. It says, For I have received of the Lord that which also <clears throat> I delivered unto you, the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. So just as the same as the Passover was said, said the same thing. The Lord told him, he says, this will be a, a perpetual thing. This will be something you'll observe until the end of, until the end of, end of your days. And Jesus said, no different. He says, you'll do this in remembrance of me until my coming. 
He says, after the same manner, he took the cup which he had supped, saying, this is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. But then here comes a warning. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat of this bread and drink of this cup of the Lord, unworthily shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. For if we should judge ourselves, we should ju not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord, that we should not be condemned with the world. Wherefore, my brethren, when ye come together to eat, tarry one for another. And if any man hunger, let him eat at home. And if ye come together without condemnation, and the rest will I set in order when I come. Markley here it says, this is to be observed by the Lord's people. The Passover was the same. It was only to be observed by the Lord's people. And if those slave or the foreigner were come, they were to be set apart and become part of the Lord's congregation to observe the Passover. So there's no exception here in the, in the 11th chapter of 1 Corinthians. This was an institution by Christ for the church. Not to be observed by those that are not members. But those that had a relationship with him through baptism into the local assembly. Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10. First Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I would not that ye should be ignorant how that all of our fathers have under the, under the cloud and all passed through the sea and were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And did all eat the same spiritual food? And did all drink the same spiritual drink? For they drank of the same spiritual rock that flowed, followed them, and that the rock was Christ. But with many of them God was not well pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things were an example to the intent of those who should not lust after evil things, as they also lusted. Neither be ye idolaters, and where of some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Neither let us commit fornication, as some of them commit, and fell in one day three and twenty thousand. Neither let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted, and were destroyed of serpents. Neither murmur ye, as one of uh, some of them also murmured, and were destroyed of the destroyer. Now all of these things happen unto them for an ensample, and they are written for our admonition, and upon whom the ends of the earth are come. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he stand take heed lest he fall. 
There is no temptation taken such as is common to man, but God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above what you are able, but will with temptation also make a way of escape for ye to be able to bear it. What was the warning here? He said, those Jews there all passed through the cloud and uh, under the cloud and through the sea and were all baptized unto Moses. Same type and shadow of the Lord's, Lord's institutions for the church. He says, but nevertheless, with many of them, God was not well pleased. Why was it? Because they forsook God and chose to do their own thing. Why do you think that they were left to wander in the wilderness for 40 years after they went into Canaan? It's because they chose not to observe and go in and take the land as the Lord had commanded them to. And yet sowed seeds of discord among, amongst the children of Israel. And who was the only ones to escape? All of those under 40, including Joshua and Caleb. So what are we to do? Observe these things in the order with which the Lord has told us to. The Passover was for them to provide remembrance that the Lord delivered them from the land of Egypt, the hand of their oppressor, and delivered them through the wilderness. And then told them exactly what they were to do once they entered the land. First day you observe a solemn assembly for the for the men. And unto the seventh day where you observe a solemn assembly again. And a Passover lamb. So what does that tell us about serving the Lord? It tells us to set ourselves apart for service. And these things which he talks about are the things that we can partake of as the Lord's people. Thank you for your attention this morning.